All right, so this is our first podcast. I'm Crystal. I'm Alita. And today we're going to be talking about The Crucible. I'm going to start off with my information about the movie, and then Alita will follow up with the book. Yeah. So, talking about The Crucible, the movie. The movie's based on the play. It was released in 1996, so it has been around for over 20 years. Yes. (laughs) But it still captures... I believe it still captures the essence of hysteria. It captures the rage from Arthur Miller's play. And it's definitely worth the watch, even if you have already read the play. Even if you've watched the movie a long time ago, I would say definitely time to rewatch it because it was very good, in my opinion. Yeah, we watched that in high school, didn't we? I think we did. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Because I'll be honest, in watching it again, I was... I was shocked. And also how relevant it still is. Yes. Definitely still relevant. And we'll get into that. So, pretty cool fact. Arthur Miller was still living at the time that they made the movie. Wow. So, I don't know if you saw it, but there's a great short interview between him and Daniel Day-Lewis as one of the features on the DVD. So, I don't know if you checked that out I didn't. That's interesting. Yeah. So, I was surprised. I didn't realize that. But, yeah. So, I think they talked about the characters. Mm -hmm. It was very short. And another fun fact, Arthur Miller was married to Marilyn Monroe, which we just discussed a little bit earlier, and he that was actually her last marriage. Mm-hmm. So, pretty cool. Filming locations for the movie. So, of course, everywhere in Massachusetts. <laughs> House of Seven Gables, Salem, Danvers, Plymouth, and Beverly. And they also did some filming in Nova Scotia. Mm. And I looked up the website for the House of the Seven Gables a couple days ago, and it said that the House of Seven Gables was built in 1668 for Captain John Turner I. It was also the inspiration behind the novel The House of Seven Gables by Nathaniel Hawthorne. He actually used to stay at that house. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. And when you go on the website, you can definitely make out the house from from the movie. You can see, like, oh, that's definitely... A house that I recognize from the movie. Hmm. So, check it out. I'm kind of curious. The Nova Scotia scenes, were those the ones that were by the water? I don't know. Okay. It didn't specify where they were. Mm -hmm. It just had filming locations. But I'm sure with a little bit more research. Because some of that was, like, really... It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Hauntingly beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, The actors. So... Of course, you have Daniel Day-Lewis. He's pretty recognizable. Uh, He plays John Proctor. You know him from Last of the Mohicans, Gangs of New York, There Will Be Blood. He played Lincoln in Lincoln, a movie called The Phantom Thread, which I have not seen, but it was about a fashion designer. Huh. Yeah. Winona Ryder as Abigail Williams. Her her earlier work, Edward Scissorhands, Mm -hmm. Johnny Depp, Heathers, Age of Innocence, coincidentally... Co-starring with Daniel Day-Lewis. And, of course, Little Women, dear to my heart. Yes. And, of course, later on, she was in Black Swan, Stranger Things. And I really like Winona Ryder as an actress. I think Mm -hmm. she's really, I don't know, she just has something about her. Like, you're just compelled to watch her. And I really like her backstory because she had a kind of downfall in the public with her you know, scandal, but she kind of rose above it. Yeah, and honestly, with her, and this sounds so silly, but, like, her face 
fits what I would picture as I, in Puritan society. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I like, can I see that. I think she just absolutely fit that role. Joan Allen, too. Mm-hmm. Joan Allen as Elizabeth Proctor. I, I couldn't imagine anybody else for no. yeah. And I sat there watching her, and I'm like, where do I know this lady from? Where do I know this Upside lady from? Upside of Anger? No. No? Get to her. Um, oh. Upside of Anger, she was in Nixon and the Bourne franchise. But I didn't list any of her other movie roles. She was Young Allie's mom in oh, The Notebook. Trash, trash, <laughs> yeah. trash. Not for you. <laughs> yes. I love, oh my gosh. I know. I sat there last night and I'm like, where do I know this lady from? She's so good. She's got such um, bone structure. The bone structure yeah. gives her away. She's awesome. Yes. A lot of other familiar faces that you may not think about as you watch the movie, but you, you do recognize them, like mm-hmm. you said, with like Joan Allen. Frances Conroy, she just played the mother in Joker. Fantastic actress. She also uh, has been in American Horror Story. She's been in a lot of the seasons. Okay. She's, I mean, she's definitely older now, but I mean, she is phenomenal. And who did she play in she this? She played Goody Putnam. The one who lost her children, yeah, and is getting very, she's kind of early on kind of fanatical and and getting upset early on. Jeffrey Jonas, Bruce Davison, I believe Bruce Davison was Reverend Paris. They've had so many supporting roles in so many different films, you'd recognize them right Mm -hmm. away. I believe Jeffrey Jonas, he was in, I think he was in Beetlejuice, I think, Hmm. with Winona Ryder. But I'm not 100% on that. I'd have to research it more. Uh, Rob Campbell, uh, as well as Peter Vaughn. Peter Vaughn, he was in Game of Thrones. And then Paul Schofield, who plays Judge Danforth. That was his final film. And he passed away 12 years later at the age of 86. Yep, that was his final film. But he did such a great job as Judge Danforth. He did. I thought he was so intimidating and so strong in that character. So, the person that I was watching the movie with, when he came in, she was like, he's got the buckle. The buckle of authority. <laughs> the buckle of authority on the hat. On the hat. Because he looked like an actual pilgrim. He, <laughs> he did. Had the buckle. He had the buckle of authority. I like that. He's <laughs> wearing the buckle of authority. Also from IMDb, directed by Nicholas Heitner. The film is supposed to take place from February to November in the year 1692. And I guess we'll get into, do you have when the play is, is at the same time frame as the play? Okay, Mm -hmm. so from February to November in the year 1692, which of course is when the Salem Witch Trials were taking place. It was said that Daniel Day-Lewis did not bathe or shower from start to wrap on this film to maintain authenticity of the character. I can't imagine. I can't. So, you want to talk about the reviews for the film? Sure. All right. So, in his review of the film, Roger Ebert did not agree with the opening scene of the movie. So, this is where we're getting into spoilers. If you don't want to hear plot details, descriptions of scenes, you might want to skip ahead because we're going to start talking about scenes in the movie Mm -hmm. and then go into the plot. So, anyway, Roger Ebert did not agree with the opening scene of the movie in his review. The beginning scene, of course, is the girls dancing Mm -hmm. with Tituba, and they're having a grand old time. They're giving her stuff so she can make her spells. They're talking about the boys that they like. Things get a little crazy. They do. And someone's clothes come off. (laughs) 
So the girls are dancing, becoming more hysterical. In the review, he said, it just doesn't make that much sense for these highly disciplined, Puritan, sheltered, innocent girls to just go off the rails that quickly. How could they get so crazy so fast? How would they jump into that? One minute they're they're quiet, they're meek. The next minute they kind of go off the rails and, and get naked in the woods. Mm-hmm. He said he didn't really agree with that scene. What do you think? I think, though, you're looking at a certain segment in time. So you really don't see the events that led up to this. Mm-hmm. You're going to kind of learn more about what happened prior to that mm-hmm. later in the play or in the movie. But I kind of disagree with that. I feel like you're only seeing a certain segment in time. So that's where they that's where they started. And truthfully, that's really where they kind of... That's not exactly where they start in the play, but they do discuss that very early on. Right. I guess in the play, the dancing in the woods scene was performed offstage, right? I... They mention it, but it's more of like an interrogation. Mm -hmm. So the movie really gives a visual aid to what they kind of allude to in the play. That makes sense. So I like that interpretation. I like um, thinking about it that way. I did. I thought it was kind of interesting to think about it that way. Like maybe it pushed the envelope because to give that visual, like you said, and then also because uh, sex sells. In media, but there um, was mention of a naked girl of a naked girl in the play. In the play, okay. And I will tell you, it, it made me think after I watched the movie. I couldn't remember about the chicken blood, and then oh, I'm yeah. like, I think that actually was mentioned, like when things got very heated and people were getting thrown under the bus. But I was a little appalled at that at that visual. Mm-hmm. I won't lie. Yeah. Yeah. So his point was, I guess, because one of the major points of the play is that it relies heavily on imagination anyway Mm -hmm. because of what the girls start doing and what starts happening to the people in the village. There's so much imagination involved and there's so much speculation. Maybe that's, you know, giving us that visual wasn't really the point of the play. I don't know. Like... You get what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. I do. And I can understand his I, I can understand his perspective too. Mm-hmm. But like I said, it really kinda does give you a visual into what I mean, what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I do have in my notes, yeah, it was necessary to be given that visual because you can see shifting to the next scene why Betty and Ruth, the two girls who, you know, who can't wake up, who are bewitched first, Mm -hmm. how they're overcome with fear and shock because they were caught doing such an extreme thing in the woods. Especially in that Puritan society. Yes. It's 1692. (laughs) Exactly. Even dancing is like... Forbidden. Taboo. Do not dance. (laughs) So, yeah, you can understand now we have these two young girls... Who are terrified. They are so, oh my gosh, could you imagine being caught, you know, doing whatever it would be considered taboo and and crazy in our time, how the shock would affect us. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So you get a good perspective. I will say this, though. They creeped me out a little bit with their eyes open. (laughs) I was like, I understand shock. 
Their eyes are Their open. Their eyes are open. <laughs> yeah. She she sleeps. She will not wake. All right. So other themes explored in the movie. These are themes that are just that I, my opinion, I that okay. I feel like I picked out. So the blame of human nature. We have this inclination of misbehaving. And instead of blaming it on the person, it's blamed on a supernatural force. Specifically for this movie, The Devil and Witchcraft. Mm-hmm. So all sins, all crimes, all violence, greed... You can blame it on an entity, and therefore the person has no guilt themselves. The devil made me do it. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, even now, like I feel like... Super relevant. Sins can be excused because, oh, it's not me, it's it's the devil. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. I have any, I don't really, that's, that's as far as it goes. Like, I I feel like that was the, that was the easiest way out for them. Yes. Even maybe in their own minds. I mean, this is getting more into the characters, not in the play itself, Mm -hmm. but maybe in their own minds, they felt like, well, there's no other explanation. And then what surprised me too is, you know, nowadays we have so many things that we can look at, like even in regards to like illnesses, but back then it may have been like two illnesses or witchcraft. Right. <laughs> like, if it doesn't make sense, it's witchcraft. It does. <laughs> I don't and understand this. The extremity of that just blows my mind. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine. Mm-mm. I'm pretty sure I'd have been hung. <laughs> I've been hung a long time ago. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Not you, me. I mean. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, and again, going with Arthur Miller's theme of what was happening at the time frame that he wrote the play, people could get away with saying certain things about other people, and again, maybe that wasn't based on where their behavior was coming from, but they could use that as an excuse. Well, they're acting this way because they believe Mm -hmm. this, so... I also think that it's lightening their load a little bit because sometimes if the finger was pointed at them, they could very easily point it back at somebody else and be like, oh, mm-hmm. wait. Right. Which is what Abigail does. Yeah. Yeah. She absolutely. completely turns the tables several, several times. People. Yeah. She's crafty. She's crafty. <laughs> All right. So moving on. In today's political climate, we see the term witch hunt being thrown mm-hmm. about. Um so what is that definition? It's usually a plot or act to overthrow or incriminate someone despite no real evidence that they are guilty of a crime. And back in the era when Arthur Miller wrote this play, it was because of the dealings with McCarthyism, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I I think we miss is the love between John and Elizabeth. Oh my word, yes. And yeah, and again, spoilers. Fast forward if you don't want to hear all it. around. At the very end, they find each other. Mm-hmm. And it's like the most beautiful moment. And it's so sad. It's so tragic. Because it's almost like they had to go through this to get back to one another. Absolutely. My exact words in my notes in regards to one of the very last scenes in the play was it was such a tender moment. It was. Yeah. You know, it wasn't full of like, all I can think of right the second is like PDA Mm -hmm. because that wasn't the time we were in, but it was such a tender moment. And I also feel like, and I'm going to throw this in there in regards to that scene in the movie, I think it was telling and we can all relate in regards to her 
issue with body image because she oh, said yes. that she was such a plain yes. person. I didn't even think about that. And I was like, wow. I can't remember her exact words, but like she kissed him with not skepticism, but mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I didn't was, even think about that. I was like, whoa. Okay. That's a great insight. Yeah. yeah. Even back then, they had body they image had issues. They had body image issues. Yes. And that leads me to feminine suppression. <laughs> because in the scene where, spoilers, where John confesses to everything, mm-hmm. he immediately calls Abigail a harlot. And it's like, whoa, but hold on a second. You had something to do with this, too. Absolutely. Yeah. We don't know. I Crystal, mean, duh. Always the girl's fault. It's always the girl's fault. <laughs> she knew her for a harlot. I love that. I love that quote. Yeah. So, uh, and and then it's going to be Abby who who gets punished, <laughs> and he, you know, his name gets tarnished. Big whoop de doo. But then she's going to be flogged or hung or whatever. Like, yeah, girl, you're going to have a hard time. Like, okay, yeah. so it's all her fault. Yeah. He's going to be charged with what was it? Lechery. Lechery. But meanwhile, she's probably going to get hung. She might lose a finger or have a brand on her face. Who knows? But yeah, fe- feminine suppression. Yeah. Always. Um, several times that happened. But that that was one of the big big pieces, moments, yeah. big moments that I was like, oh, it's the girl's fault completely. It's her fault. She's a whore always. <laughs> Even though she was young, who knows? Does it say her age? I don't remember, but for some reason, I'm thinking around like sixteen, seventeen. Yeah. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. John Proctor, man of the house, strong, takes advantage of her, opens her eyes to this whole new world, <laughs> gave her knowledge, gave her carnal knowledge <laughs> and yeah and th- and then she's supposed to go back because she gets thrown out mm-hmm. by his wife for being a harlot <laughs> <laughs> all right so plot time going into specific details about the story we'll just go over not really scene by scene we're not going to go through each detail but i do like giving a whole summary description okay. yeah yeah, yeah. So we know that uh, Reverend Paris catches the girls in the woods, and his daughter Betty and another girl, Ruth Putnam, they go into this trance-like state where they will not wake up, and it's clear that they're in shock. Absolutely. it's clear. What do they call it, though? Do you remember? Uh, It was like they've gone silly or something. They've gone silly. I don't think it's silly. It's something like that, though. They're in a coma. They're silly. (laughs) I don't know. Of course, the other girls are panicking and trying to get them to wake up. Like, if you wouldn't have made a big deal about this, you could have just went about your business like, I don't know what's wrong with them. (laughs) Just keep... You you wouldn't have had a story. Very true. (laughs) But they slap them around. They slap them around. (laughs) Reverend Paris points out super early on that there's a faction in the church out to destroy him. Mm-hmm. So he needs this to get taken care of. Like, he needs to oh, get to the absolutely. bottom of this. He questions Abby, to which uh, she in turn, I love this quote, there be no blush upon my name, sir. Is that in the, I don't know if that was, she doesn't say it with a southern accent. Like I said, <laughs> there be no blush upon my huh. name, sir. Number one, it sounds cool. Number two, there's totally a blush on her name. Absolutely. <laughs> she was getting out with John Proctor. <laughs> she was a harlot. I know. In the beginning, you can tell Abby is the ringleader. Winona, again, she does a terrific job of portraying her, and her. I feel her role is complex because, on one hand, she is the ringleader of this group, but mm-hmm. she's doing it to save her skin. Like, she's looking out for she number is. one, and she's very much everything that it implies. Like, the leader, an individual, like, she has her own interest. Yes, yeah, and she has to be manipulative. Now, um, 
I, the other girls following along, I feel like is completely groupthink. Oh, like, yeah. that's... Yeah. So, we'll get into that. Okay. Um, also, early on in the movie, we see an interaction between Proctor and his wife. Uh, we get to see what the environment is like. In the very beginning, he, he tells her to pick some flowers. It's winter in here yet. Mm-hmm. And that he's not talking about the house being cold. No. Nope. Literally. He's referring to the cold distance that they've they have between them so you can definitely see that at the very beginning of the film so things go from bad to worse after rebecca nurse and rebecca nurse is like the moral compass of the story i love to me. her she's, she's like the saint in the she town is, she is this goodly godly older lady and she kind of soothes betty but suspicions are still running high abby is taking charge She's threatening the girls to follow her lead. She mentions that she's been through some traumatic experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, She talks about her parents being killed by Indians. And the awesome quote, I've seen some reddish things at night. Ah, Did you catch that one? I didn't catch that one. I've seen some reddish things at night. Like blood? Like Mm. hell? You know, you think of like the color red and, and yeah. But again, you get that Abby is definitely looking out for herself. Absolutely. Yeah. She has a moment with John Proctor. Mm-hmm. You see some semblance of innocence. To me, you see just this, like, she becomes this girlish, we were sporting in the woods is all, you know? <laughs> and you can tell that she has feelings. She has these feelings for John, and she's either becoming or has become a woman, you know? Uh, she she has had her eyes opened, yes. like you said. and But she really doesn't have anybody to talk to. She doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have a confidant. She doesn't have any family except for... She doesn't have any immediate family. She has her uncle. She has her cousin. But her parents are gone. She doesn't have her mother. No. So... And who can you talk to about situations such as this in that society? Yeah. Uh, You're going to get hung. You're going to get... Or you're going to get whipped. Yeah. Something bad's going to happen to you. People will... got to keep it. Ostracize you. And it's and you think about again the whole reason that they're in this situation in the first place is because she was out in the woods trying to get that charm on John Proctor. Yes, he's like her motivation for doing things. I feel like centers around him. So Goody Nurse, we talked about her. I feel like she mentions foreshadowing throughout the beginning of the play because she says she sees the danger of seeking loose spirits. And touts that they should look to blame themselves rather than the devil. And it's like, yeah, that's... That scene hit me harder watching it, I think, than it did reading. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, whoa. Yeah, it's deep. It's strong. It is. Yeah. It is. And it shows, I think, even more so a part of her character. Mm-hmm. So they send for Reverend Hale. He arrives. He begins interrogating the girls about the woods Somehow it gets turned around on Tituba. Of course, you know, let's... Poor Tituba. <laughs> let's blame the minority. Yeah. So, of course, they blame her. And, of course, after being beaten, she starts confessing because she wants the beatings to stop. So she starts throwing out names. Abby then takes control. Yeah. After she starts throwing out her name, she's like, whoa, whoa, nope, I gotta be in charge. And she starts accusing women in the village of Salem. Meanwhile... John tells Elizabeth that Abby told him they were just sporting in the woods. No witchcraft here. No, we're just playing. Elizabeth then asks John to go to Cheever, uh, one of the... I think he has a smaller role. He's a smaller character. Um, 
But then, of course, she also questions him why he was alone with Abby. With Abby. Yeah. And, of course, he gets upset because he's like, I wasn't doing anything. Just just trust me. Okay. <laughs> so the fervor increases. Judge Danforth is called. Small events in the village lead to people being accused. The heart-wrenching... I mean, there's some heart-wrenching scenes in the movie, but poor Mr. Jacobs. Uh, with the walking sticks. Yes. Yeah. He's he's this frail old man. He broke my heart. Oh yeah. It's oh I can't, I didn't I didn't think to look up his who the actor was that played him, but yeah. So he has six hundred acres next to Putnam's land, coincidentally. And he's put on the stand. Martha Corey, who is making fun of all of them because she can see what bullshit it is. Poor she can God. see the BS. She is laughing at them like, Oh my gosh, you guys can't see through this. I don't know who that is. She's been in a lot of stuff. She's been in a lot of stuff and a supporting actress. But I loved her in this. Yes. And it was just, you know, it was just a few scenes. But I loved her when she was mocking them. Uh Uh-huh. Like, I'm like, I like this lady. Even in 1692, she's spunky. She's spunky. And uh, so she's tried. And the girls just keep increasing their antics. You said group think. Yes. When you're in that mob mentality... Things can happen, and the fever, like, it just runs through the crowd. It's so strange how, like, that energy can kind Mm -hmm. of transfer, um, and you can get caught up in the moment. So definitely you see that mob mentality play out. Yeah. So Mary Warren is one of the minor characters in the the play, in the movie, but Mary Warren has an amazing voice um, that we get to hear later on, and her, I wrote it down, Karen Graves, I think that's what I said, Karen Graves, was the actress that played Mary Warren. But she makes a doll in court, and she gives it to Elizabeth. She tells her that she saved her life in court because her name was brought up, and Mary's trying to take control of her own destiny. John Proctor tells her to go to bed, and she's like, I think I'll, I want to stay up. What if I don't want to go to bed? And he's like, okay, stay up. And she's like, I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> it's like, she doesn't know what to do with no, herself. she doesn't. So she gives her this doll, and we know what's going to happen with the doll. Again, spoilers. I have a question for you, though. Yeah. Okay, so even in reading the play and watching the movie, I kind of question, because she does seem like a good person. She does. Do you feel like she knew what was going to take place? Because originally I was, I have like mixed views on this. Originally I thought when she gave her the doll, I'm like, uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something she's out to get her. Something bad's yeah. coming. But then... I didn't know if it was under duress of Abby. Yeah. Or if maybe she didn't know, maybe she was just doing making the doll and Abby witnessed that and used that as a... She could have. Um, I didn't know what your views were on that. Yeah. And does it say in the play or does it kind of go exactly as the it movie kind of, it kind kind of, of follows just flows along. right in? Mm-hmm. So Hale visits Proctor's house. They start talking about commandments. John recites all but one. Shocker. He forgets adultery. <laughs> Elizabeth says adultery, John. And he's like, between the two of us, we get them all. See? <laughs> so funny. And then while that's going on, Abby walks into a room. I couldn't tell if it was like a tavern. I don't know what the room was. But the important men were there and she has the needle in her belly. So I don't know if she saw the doll that, uh, that Mary was making and just decided, like, great idea. I can stab myself and make it look like she's got a puppet of me and she's stabbing me with her witchcraft. The way Mary played it out, it did seem like she didn't really know. She didn't really get it. And maybe that was an innocent 
I and see Gesture that's why I was heart. very torn about that scene. Or maybe Abby saw the doll and said, "Oh, that's a nice doll. You should give it to Elizabeth." Yes, like in the background, you know, like behind. And then the she scene. uses that, and then as, she uses that against her because yeah. Mary does. She explains, "I must have left the needle in the doll, and Abby must have seen it because I mean, when they questioned Mary, of course that didn't save Elizabeth. It didn't save her from getting put on the cart to be hauled off to jail." But I felt like it helped her, and yeah. I felt like Mary didn't really bear any ill will. Mary is very young, and again, like, just kind of I feel like she lost. was kind of oblivious. Yeah. She like, just... in watching the movie, I really felt like she was kind of oblivious mm -hmm. to all that. Yeah. So they take Elizabeth. She agrees to go. Of course, very upsetting. Meanwhile, Mr. Corey brings documents against Putnam against the Putnams in court because again the Putnams have a lot of land and the Putnams have been in a lot of land disputes going back to poor Mr. Jacobs getting put on trial he had 600 acres next to the Putnams guess what's going to happen to the 600 acres so Corey brings in the documents he says I have this proof they know he said he was going to go after I think he if he was going to go after Mr. Jacobs, he was going to go after somebody for their land mm -hmm. and uh, use the witchcraft as the excuse. But unfortunately, Mr. Corey is the one who ends up getting put on trial. And because he won't disclose who told him that, yes. he doesn't want to bring their name into it. So they put him on trial instead. Well, and that came, if I'm not mistaken, right after, is it Francis Nurse? It was Goody Nurse's husband yeah. who came in with a petition with right. like 91 people listed. And the the court immediately says, okay, go and arrest these people. Yeah. And so then Giles Corey was like, I'm not giving up any names. Because mm -hmm. they didn't want to be they didn't want to be thrown under the bus. Absolutely. And rightfully so. That was terrible when he brought in the list of names and they're like, okay, we're gonna go interrogate everybody and take them all into court. And I think they said at that point, either you're with the court or you're against, against the, the court. court. Yeah. And it was like, okay. Oh, terrible. So it also comes out that Abigail danced in the woods. But she kind of adjusts quickly. She She's able to turn it around again. Yeah. And Mary Proctor has brought her in to tell everyone, no, we've been making it up. We've been playing. Like, we have been pretending. But then they tell her to faint on command, and she can't do it. She can't faint. She says it was easier to do it before. Why? And again, mob mentality. <laughs> Getting exactly. caught up in the fervor of the group. And so, yeah, you, you're able to get caught up in the moment and do something. It's just like, um, this is a completely different example, but, you know, the people who witness a car accident or something and the person's trapped under the car and they all come together and they all push the car up. But yeah. would they have been able to do that when without, I don't know, you know, that kind of, it's a little bit different. But no, the but same, like I understand what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. And talking about how the girls can make their skin faint grow on, cold and faint. faint. on command. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's all stuff that yeah. you can actually, you can work yourself into a frenzy is a good word. Yeah. So after this is going on, John confesses to being with Abby and she's taking a whore's vengeance now. I love that line. Whore's vengeance now. But she is. I mean, except, I don't think she's a whore, but she is taking her vengeance out on Elizabeth. And he said that his wife kicked her out because she knew her for a harlot. So I think there's awesome cinematography in this scene where they bring in Elizabeth to confirm John's mm -hmm. statement. And their backs... So, again, spoilers. John and Abby backs to Elizabeth... 
she walks in, they're standing facing the court, and she's in between them. And it's like... Okay, so I also want to say this. Symbolism. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he is on the left-hand side. She is on the right-hand side. The left-hand side is weaker. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, or typically, to most people, the left-hand side is weaker. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I was like, ah. But, yeah, and um, Danforth will not let Elizabeth even look, look at in, him. That, in yeah. his direction. Because I'm sure if she could see his face, that might have given her, like, she might have known that he confessed. Because this is a big, important piece. He's He's got a good name in the community. He's looked up to and for him to confess that he was with abby and cheated on his wife committed adultery is a huge thing it is and proctor had just told the judge his wife never lies exactly his wife never never lies. lies so there's this one moment and i don't know if it was meant to be on purpose i don't know if it was intentional or not but at one point as you're watching the movie there's this beam of light that shines on elizabeth did yes. you see that yeah yes. and you're thinking oh like she's gonna be the one and she's gonna confirm it and it's all gonna go away mm-hmm. and then the light dims i almost think like she was about to tell the truth and then she wanted to protect her she husband. wanted to protect her husband because she did love him truly she loved him and she doesn't she doesn't tell the truth she loves john she wants to prove that she loves him and keep his good name so she lies she what does she say she thought that she suspected she suspected that he was looking at her he had turned he had turned towards towards abby but she didn't say yeah i know that he was with her yes and so she lies i mean this is kind of speeding up the events mary turns on john she realizes that things are not going to go her way. She can't fade on command. She's going to turn on John. And she's going to... And gonna... Abby turns on Mary Warren, too. Right. She... And this yeah. whole, like, bird flying in the ceiling Oh, yeah, the bird scene. thing. Yeah. Great great acting within acting, I think. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so, in one of, like, one of his best lines, I think, he screams, you're pulling down heaven and raising up a whore. Mm. Love that quote. That pulling down quote. heaven and raising up a whore. So now Abby looks distraught because now they're going after John because he has lied, supposedly lied, and they're turning on him. And the one person that she wanted, the one person that she, the driving cause behind all of her motives, now he is accused. Yes. And Mary Warren has pointed the finger at him. At him. And it was like, okay, the one person that she wanted to get like out of this unscathed, he's now in danger. And everything she has done up until this point has been for him, you know, in her twisted way. And you see the panic on her face. Oh, yeah. She is distraught. She's distraught. So he will ultimately be hanged if he doesn't confess to witchcraft. So then I love the scene. Abigail tries to accuse Reverend Hale's wife. Yes. And she went too far. She went too far. And that part is not in the play. What? I didn't even realize I that. I do not think so. I have thought about that and thought about that. I do not believe that is actually in the play. Oh, man. Because I was shocked. Yeah. Wow. So for so long, I thought that was in the play, too. I don't... I do not believe so. Wow. Okay. Well, in the movie, she accuses Hale's wife, which, remember, Reverend Hale is the first uh, person to come out and kind of, like, 
say, okay, yeah, witchcraft is going on. We need a heavyweight political figure or yes. whatever. That's when Judge Danforth comes in. But Hale, Hale is starting to see what what's unraveling. Happening. Yeah. And I think during that that little instance, not little, but that instance with John Proctor and Abigail and Elizabeth in the courtroom, mm-hmm. that's when he sees it and he's like, this man is innocent. Right. He's telling the truth. This is why everything happened. And he tries. He says, you know, of course she would lie for him. He's, she's her, um, he's her husband. Of course she would lie. Of course this would unfold the way it did. And they're like, no, (laughs) we've gone too far because they've already started hanging people. Yes. And they can't stop. Like also Hale has a guilty conscience too, because his name was on some of those death warrants. Right. Yeah. And now he is like. Holy crap. Yeah, I've done wrong. Yeah. I have made a mistake. Mm-hmm. So they're all... So this is kind of like the turning point where they see, like, yeah, where they start beginning to see through Abigail's lies. Even Danforth. I mean, Danforth, oh, okay, no, you're mistaken, girl. Yes. Like, you're, you're not... She's, and Abby's trying, and he said, nope, that's there's no way possible that it could be... She could be dabbling in witchcraft and so. i think when and you may go into this but i think when abby leaves that courtroom at that point that is also a pretty pivotal moment because prior to when they were leaving the courthouse and stuff like that the crowds outside or the people that are shuffling through the streets are like god bless you child right. god bless yeah. you child in this instance, when she walks out, people start turning their backs towards her. Yes, and we didn't mention, but this is, you know, after time has passed. So it's yeah. going from February to November. So mm-hmm. time has passed where these people are being hanged and other people are confessing. On that same token, with the first people that are hanged, if you look in the crowd, it's like bloodthirst. Like yeah, they are it's a sport. So, they're they're yeah. craving this. It's exciting. It's exciting. And then... What we're leading up to. If you look at the faces in the crowd, it's a completely different vibe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. More and more people. Like, the first people who were hanged, it was like the the town beggar lady. I can't remember her name. Sarah Good. Sarah Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, yeah. Oh, people didn't really put much stock in, stock in her or really care for her or whatever. Um, but, yeah, as more and more people are being accused and more and more people won't confess because... It's BS. They're like, no, I'd rather be hanged than destroy my good name. They start like, oh, but these are important people now that they're going after. And we like these people. Or we respect these people. These are my neighbors. These are my friends. Exactly. So, yeah, as uh, Paris finds a knife outside his door, it's a clear message from the people in the village that they're beginning to blame him because Mm -hmm. he was the one. Of course, it was his daughter who started the whole thing. She was bewitched. And then, of course, Abby is his niece. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, and and they are they are really starting to stay away from Abby because they like the g- woman like grabs her kids like no don't go near her because she is she's like she's a, an outcast an now. outcast now because she has gotten so many people in trouble. So fast forward, John is imprisoned and he'll be scheduled to be hanged sometime in the future. Abby goes and visits John, and in the movie she is leaving she's running away because again the one person that she wanted the motivation for everything he's about to be hanged so she tries to convince him to escape with her to barbados but he refuses of course because he doesn't love her he never loved her and she disappears from the village now of course it's different in the play 
It is. She sticks around. Well, she, she or she moves. The at the very end, it mentions that she winds up in Boston as a prostitute, or it is alleged mm. that she winds up in Boston as a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, Abby. Also, in this kind of window of events, it turned out that Elizabeth said she was pregnant. This was before, I believe, before John was imprisoned. Maybe even before that whole thing took place in the courtroom between him and Abigail and Elizabeth. I it can't did. Remember. Yeah. Because it gets brought up because when John comes into the courtroom, he comes in with Giles Corey and Francis Nurse. And the judge basically says, Your wife is saved for a year mm-hmm. because we can't. We're not going to hang an innocent child, or we're not mm-hmm. going to, right. you know, murder an innocent child. So your wife is saved for a year, and basically he asked John, like, "Okay, is that it? Like, okay, are you good now?" Mm-hmm. And John looks at Giles Corey, and he looks at Francis Nurse, and he says, "I don't think I can be because mm-hmm. those, you know, those people are close to him too, right? Exactly. And he's not only fighting his own battle; he's helping them." Mm-hmm. And there was a scene that I didn't mention, but, like, what happened to Giles Corey, they didn't hang him. No. They were, and I don't know if this was in the play or not. It was. It was. So they were putting, like, weights. Weights. Blocks. Like, it almost looks like stones. Stones. Like, giant stones. Giant stones. And they pressed him to death. Right. But I thought that was one of the... I loved that line and more both he weight. yeah more weight <laughs> because like he wasn't going to plead his innocence or his guilt. Right. And the reason which is is in the play actually, but the reason was if he confessed or if he, you know, s- claimed his innocence, either way they were going to give his his land his land and stuff, it wouldn't go to his heirs. Oh. And so when they were doing that, that's why he was like, more weight. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't realize because that. Because the way he died, it still allowed for his heirs to get his stuff. Well, that's, I mean, but I thought that was thing. It was, and yeah. I thought, oh, what a, you know, yeah. what a moment. Yeah. And also, I think maybe he also felt some guilt because mm-hmm. of his wife. He had mentioned in the beginning of the movie about her books, how she read strange books. Was that in the play? Yeah. Okay. He just asked um, Reverend Hale really kind of a question about, you know, my wife reads these books. And and Giles Corey, who had never been good with prayer, made some comment about... Yeah, he can't say his prayers (laughs) until she leaves the room. Then he can say his prayers. So, of course, they think she's a witch. Yeah. Oh, man. It's like, maybe you just aren't very good at praying in the first place, dude. Oh, but yeah, so it was a very poignant moment. It was, yeah. it was, it was heart-wrenching and it was also noble, like, wow, you know, like, and knowing that now, mm-hmm. that the way he, he handled it, his heirs would still get his, his, and according, um, I think, their inheritance. Yeah. According to history, I think that was the only one that was pressed to death. Yes, that was another thing I was going to bring up. There were so many people that were hanged, and then one person was pressed to death. So I like that Arthur Miller incorporated that into the play. Yeah. So going back to the end of the movie, again, where we were, Abigail has run away. She she ran off. 
Hale, Reverend Hale, again, feeling so much guilt and responsibility, he urges Elizabeth, he, tr he tells Elizabeth, urge John to confess. Mm -hmm. You have to get him to confess. She is visibly pregnant yes. in this scene. And I thought, wow, you know, in the beginning when she says she's pregnant and you think about her and John's relationship and it wasn't very good, they had a very strained relationship. You're thinking, is she though? Is she pregnant yeah. though? Or is she just saying that to buy some time? But yeah, she's visibly pregnant. And so they have that scene where we talked about it was such a tender, I have in my notes, a tender and touching moment. So it was funny that you said tender before. <laughs> besties yeah. <laughs> and it seems like the bond has now and I don't even know you know I think about their relationship previously like maybe before Abigail entered the picture they did have a happy relationship or they were happy together or whatever brought them together in the beginning now that returned yeah. in the end but it just took these tragic events to get them to speak their truth yeah and for her to you know talk about how she viewed herself because she had said she had been sick for a long time too. Mm -hmm. So again, what you mentioned about body image and how, you know, if we go through something like that, how it changes our perception of ourselves. It does. And, yeah. it and even, even though it's um, an issue you may have within yourself, it does affect sometimes your relationships because right. you, you know, you might be thinking, well, I don't even love myself. How does, how, how can how he, can love, he me? love me? Yeah. yeah. So that was really interesting that even in 1692 in that setting, they could go through that kind of situation. So it, it's a poignant moment. And Elizabeth says that it's his choice she is not going to influence him. Uh, it's his choice whether to confess and have his life spared or to go to the gallows. And he chooses to live. He he says, you know, okay, he sees that he has a child on the way. And I think that's really what yeah. motivates him. Yeah. To confess when he sees that she is visibly, visibly pregnant. pregnant. Yeah. And plus, again, now that they've rekindled rekindled their relationship maybe he wants to explore that he wants to be around to be with her and live his life so but that means he has to confess to witchcraft and so he goes up to this table where Danforth and Hale and there's other people around and he's hesitant he states that it's hard to give a lie to dogs love yes. that quote so then they start writing up the document, and he questions that. Why does it have to be in writing? Is it my word enough? I mean, I'm telling you this right now. I'm confessing. But they start writing it up, and they tell him that he's going to have to sign the document. And he honestly did not know that they would be putting up a written confession. And they would be, I think they said they'd nail it to the church door. Yeah, yeah. and at this time, he's already been excommunicated. Yeah. So it, it's going to be hung up on the, the church door. And if you can remind me, because I am at a loss, the, his quote there. Oh, yeah, I, I have it. Okay, yeah. good. Because I thought that was, that was a pretty big moment, too. Oh, yeah. So he signs. I guess I didn't remember he did sign his name, he, yeah, and then he tears it up. He tears up the paper, and they're questioning him, and he screams, It is my name, the only one I have in my life. It is my name, and it's, oh, it's heart -wrenching. Oh, yes, it is. It just, I get chill bumps because, of course, Daniel Day-Lewis, he's phenomenal, but you know at that time and point, it that's the only thing he has, and for him to leave behind his... It just, oh, to leave that 
and his family is going to be publicly, not ridiculed, but, you know, Mm -hmm. everyone's going to know. They're going to see my family. I have this child on the way, and I'm going to confess to this lie. So, number one, it's not true. Mm -hmm. And number two, witchcraft. Like, when he, ugh, man. (laughs) Yeah. It is my name. The only one I have in my life. And this is truth. We only have our our word, our reputation, our name. Yeah. Um, so very strong, very, very moving. So he goes on to be hanged with Martha Corey and wonderful Rebecca Nurse. Mm-hmm. They have, and Martha Corey and Rebecca Nurse do encourage him before all of this takes place. They're watching him and they're telling him, don't do it because they know it's wrong and they have already sacrificed themselves. And it's not that they want him to join them, but they know, like, this is this is not the path for you. Yeah. And so he goes with them, and Elizabeth states, he have his goodness now, God forbid I take it from him. Because Hale is, you gotta stop him, you gotta stop him. And she says, no, he, he has made his choice. He has his, I think he has earned his, what is the word? Salvation? I don't know. Uh, from From all the wrongs that he feels he has done, he is now... An actual good man. Because before, he he talked about, in between him and Elizabeth, he talks about how he doesn't think he's the kind of man to go up to the gallows. Or he's not that good of a man. He to, does. To be like a martyr. He has so much guilt. And you see that throughout yeah. both. Mm-hmm. Both the play and the movie. You see that. And, and it is. It's almost like that's finally off of his shoulders. Right. And so they hang the three characters, and they begin to recite the Lord's Prayer. As they're which is, pushed over the ledge. As they're pushed over the ledge. Very powerful imagery. Yes. And the movie ends. So I feel like throughout, throughout the movie, the imagery, the scenery, and just, like I said, the actors and the portraying the characters the way they do, it's just a phenomenal movie to watch. But it also, again, like we touched on before, it just plays into every, a lot of stuff that is going on. It's so relevant. Right now. I yeah. mean, that was 300 and... Mm-hmm. And when did Arthur Miller write the play? Because 1953, I believe. So that's, that's also, you know... I must find this now. Mm-hmm. No, 1952. 1952. That was the first copyright. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 68, 68 years ago? Math. I can't math. <laughs> 68. Sounds good. 52. (laughs) Carry the one. So even at that time, I mean, with McCarthyism, you know, that climate, uh, it's still, we don't have McCarthyism. I mean, we kind of do. I mean, there are people who are calling Bernie Sanders communist now, but I mean, that's not, you know, back in the 50s, people were getting, like, they were getting put on trial. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. McCarthyism... Started, so Senator McCarthy, ironically enough, when I looked this up the other day, they mentioned that he was not very good at telling the truth. (laughs) Oh, you think? Interesting. Hmm. (laughs) I hope to goodness that's not what people remember about me. (laughs) I don't think that's what. No, (laughs) but that's terrible. Like you look him up and that's what comes up. I'm like, "Mm." Doesn't speak so well. Yeah. Your character, sir. That's what they say. History will tell. Yeah. <laughs> so he was very instrumental with the Red Scare of the early 1950s, late 1940s. 
most of that took place between 1950 and 1954, but it was, it played out very much like the Salem witch trials. One person was accused and then they pointed the finger at mm-hmm. someone else and it just spiraled. Yeah. But the fear at that point was communism. And I wish for the life of me, I could remember the book that I read but it affected so many things. Mm-hmm. Like they were censoring books. They were right. always um, going to the book bands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do not be educated. Yes. <laughs> Knowledge is evil. <laughs> <laughs> but that really went into that. And I was explaining to Crystal earlier, it was very interesting to me, and I would have to go back and reread about it. But the Rosenberg trial. It was a husband and a wife who were accused of, well, they were considered communist, but it was... Like spying? Spying. Treason. Treason. And so they were actually, they were tried in 1951 and they were executed in 1953. And I believe, honestly, it's because Arthur Miller felt such a connection about both the Crucible and McCarthyism, the... The actors in the play actually had a moment of silence in 1953 when they were executed. Hmm. That's so powerful. It was, yeah. yeah. And also, fun fact: Arthur Miller was actually or he was arrested for contempt of court because he would not point the finger at two people who were kind of accused and somehow associated with him. Of being communist. So that kind of, I mean, do you think maybe he wrote in Giles Corey as like a representation of himself? Because that kind of happened to him because he was held in contempt. We're going to, we're going to take you in, give us some names and maybe it'll go easier for you. Mm-hmm. And then he wouldn't give up the names. Maybe. And so maybe he wrote the character, like maybe that tied into that played okay, into a representation it. of what happened to me with Giles Corey, not giving up the names of people who gave yeah, him um, very the information point. when he was trying to just alleviate the situation, like show this is all a bunch of BS. Yeah. Oh, but give us some names and we'll, we'll clear we'll, it up. We'll clear you off the, off yeah. the books. And it's like, no, that's not, yeah. that's not right. And I, I don't know a whole lot about Arthur Miller, but I think that that, that speaks of his character. Mm, nope, I'm not giving you any names. Mm-hmm, you right. Know. At least in that aspect. I don't know much about Arthur Miller. Yeah. I should have, I feel like, maybe researched him a little bit more, but... True, same. The, the only thing that I really know about him other than that was about Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe. Monroe. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, ah. Oh. And that seems like such an odd couple to me. He yeah. seems very serious and like intellectual. And mm-hmm. it's not that she's not, but it just seems like an odd mixture. She's like the blonde bombshell. And right. And he was the serious playwright. Yeah. Mm. I can kind of maybe see it opposites, that sort of thing. Very right. true. 